0: Welcome to the Grenzone, dissecting dermatology differently. Here is your host, Dr. Logan Kolb. All
1: right, welcome back, friends. In this episode, we will continue our discussion of papulosquamous rashes by going over mycosis fungoides. Remember, we have five main reaction patterns: papulosquamous eczematous, vascular, dermal, and vesicobullus. We further break the first category, papulosquamous rashes, into five broad categories. 1. Psoriasiform, which resembles the prototype psoriasis. 2. Pitoriasiform, which resembles pitoriasis rosea. 3. Lichenoid, resembling lichen planus. 4. Annular, such as tinea corporis, otherwise known as ringworm. And then 5. Erythroderma, which has many causes. So we will continue our discussion of the first category, the psoriasiform rashes. We have previously discussed psoriasis and seborrheic dermatitis, and we'll now be talking about mycosis fungoides. Before we start, I'll quick throw in our disclaimer.
0: This episode is meant for educational and informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Nor does this episode represent the views of Orange Park Medical Center, Olmsted Medical Center, or their affiliates.
1: So, mycosis fungoides, often referred to as MF, is a very daunting condition, both for patients who have often had it for years before they get their diagnosis, and also for medical students and residents trying to learn about it and put it in the larger context of the many cutaneous T-cell lymphomas. So I want to start by building a framework for thinking about cutaneous lymphomas, and then go on to our discussion of classic mycosis fungoides and its progression through patch, plaque, and tumor stages. Let's take a very basic look at lymphomas. They're named as such because they typically start in the lymph nodes, where they can be put into two categories, one category being Hodgkin's lymphoma, and the other being the various B and T cell non-Hodgkin's lymphomas. These lymphomas can also start in the skin, with primary cutaneous Hodgkin's lymphomas being extremely rare, whereas primary cutaneous non-Hodgkin's lymphomas cause nearly all of the primary cutaneous lymphomas that we'll discuss. For these primary cutaneous non-Hodgkin's lymphomas, which start in the skin, 80% are cutaneous T-cell lymphomas, also known as CTCL, whereas 20% of cases are cutaneous B-cell lymphomas that we also call CBCL. So forget CBCLs for now, as we may discuss it in a different episode, but let's focus on CTCL, or cutaneous T-cell lymphomas. There are several types of CTCL, so consider it an umbrella term. We lump CTCL into three main groups. The first group consists of mycosis fungoides and its variants, which includes the leukemic variant of MF known as Cesare syndrome, which we will discuss in the erythroderma episode. Together, this first group of MF and its variants make up 65% of CTCL cases. The second group of CTCL includes a spectrum of CD30-positive lymphoproliferative disorders, which include both lymphomatoid papillosis, also known as LYP, and cutaneous anaplastic large-cell lymphoma. This second group comprises approximately 25% of CTCL cases. It's important to keep in mind that LYP in and of itself is not technically a lymphoma, but since it can progress to lymphoma in 10-20% to of cases, Some dermatology texts categorize it in the spectrum of CD30-positive lymphoproliferative disorders. The final 10% of CTCL cases land in the third group, which consists of a hodgepodge of rarely encountered CTCL cases. This group contains eight types of CTCL, which I will mention in no particular order, and they include 1. Adult T-cell leukemia-slash-lymphoma, which is associated with the HTLV virus. 2. Subcutaneous paniculitis-like T-cell lymphoma, 3. Extranodal NK-slash-T-cell lymphoma nasal type, 4. Aggressive epidermotropic CD8-positive CTCL, 5. Cutaneous gamma-delta T-cell lymphoma, 6. Cutaneous CD4-positive small-slash-medium T-cell lymphoproliferative disorder, 7. Primary cutaneous acral CD8 T-cell lymphoma and eight peripheral T-cell lymphoma. So again, the three main groups of CTCL are one, MF and its variants, including Cesare syndrome, which consists of 65% of cases together. Two, the CD30 positive lymphoproliferative disorders, including LYP and cutaneous anaplastic large cell lymphoma, which together make up 25% of cases and then three, the hodgepodge CTCL group as I call it, making up the remaining 10% of cases. And I'll spare you and not go over all those names again. There are certainly other ways to categorize CTCLs into indolent and malignant forms, but let's just stick with that basic look at it for now. So I'm sure your head may be spinning a little bit by this point, so let's quick summarize. While lymphomas typically start in the lymph nodes, they can also start or be primary in the skin. There are two types of primary cutaneous lymphomas, which are technically non-Hodgkin's lymphomas. 80% are cutaneous T-cell lymphomas, a.k.a. CTCL, and 20% are cutaneous B-cell lymphomas, a.k.a. CBCL. Today's episode will focus on the most common type of CTCL, mycosis fungoides, which is a papulosquamous disorder that mimics psoriasis. Thus, we place it in the psoriasiform category of papulosquamous disorders. Mycosis fungoides is an uncommon condition that typically starts in patients' 50s and 60s, but may occur at younger ages. The incidence is approximately 1 per 300,000 people, with approximately 1,500 new cases per year in the U.S. MF consists of slowly progressive lesions that have three stages, patch, plaque, and tumor stages. It is important to remember that not all lesions progress to later stages and they can uncommonly skip a stage and present as plaques, for example. So let's briefly discuss the clinical appearance of each stage. Patch stage MF presents as round or oval patches, usually 1-5 to 5 centimeters in width, that may be annular or polycyclic. They may be itchy and classically appear on sun protected areas such as the upper thighs or buttocks region. The appearance on sun protected areas, or what we call the swimming suit distribution, is a nice pearl to remember because UV therapy is also used to treat MF, so it makes sense that lesions appear in areas that aren't seeing the sun. After patch stage, we have plaque stage MF, which presents as well demarcated, indurated, scaly plaques. That have a variety of shapes and have a violaceous or red-brown color. Tumor stage MF consists of rapidly enlarging nodules that develop within patches or within plaques of MF. These tumor stage MF lesions can ulcerate at later stages. There are also several variants of MF that aren't really psoriasiform, but I will mention them for completeness sake. There is a folliculotropic variant which causes 10% of all MF cases and typically appears as papules and plaques centered on the hair follicles on the head and neck region, and they can sometimes be associated with alopecia. Pagetoid reticulosis is an MF variant that has two types. One, Warringer Collop disease spelled W-O-R-I-N-G-E-R-K-O-L-O-P-P, dash K-O-L-O-P-P disease consisting of solitary psoriasiform plaques on the distal extremity, having a good prognosis, whereas there's a second variant of Pagetoid reticulosis known as the Ketron-Goodman Pagetoid reticulosis, and that's a more disseminated form. Some other MF variants include granulomatous slack skin MF, which is an extremely rare form causing sagging skin in the axilla or groin, And then there is a poikiloderma variant of MF that contains the three hallmarks of poikiloderma. And that's going to be atrophy, mottled hyper and hypopigmentation, and telangiectasias. Hypopigmented MF variants are the most common form of MF in African American patients and adolescents that get MF. Interstitial MF resembles granuloma annulari. And then there are a variety of other morphologies of MF, including verrucous MF, hyperkeratotic MF, vesicular, bolus, or even pustular MF variants. So let's put some of this knowledge to work and imagine you're on rotation with Dr. Grumpy Pants. So you're seeing a young patient with classic plaque psoriasis affecting the patient's scalp, elbows, sacrum, upper thighs, even affecting the patient's fingernails, when Dr. Grumpy Pants asks you,
0: Take a break from dreaming about the length of your man bun and tell me this. What else should you think about when you see psoriasis in a sun-covered area? Mm.
1: So you'll correctly answer mycosis fungoides. And later, outside the room, Dr. Grumpy Pants asks you to briefly summarize how mycosis fungoides presents clinically. Okay, that
0: was an easy one. Now you'll briefly summarize how mycosis fungoides presents clinically.
1: So you confidently respond by saying... Mycosis fungoides is the most common type of CTCL and typically presents in patients 50s and 60s as an erythematous, occasionally pruritic, scaly patch, and sun-protected bathing suit distribution. It classically takes on a slow progression through patch, plaque, and tumor stages, although it doesn't always progress and it may present in the plaque stage. Okay,
0: so you know a few rudimentary facts about mycosis fungoides? Is that all you've
1: got? There are several variants of MF, which include the folliculotropic variant, Pagetoid reticulosis consisting of Warringer cullop disease or the Ketron-Goodman variant, granulomatous slack skin, and a variety of presentations which include poikulodermis MF, hypopigmented MF, interstitial, verrucous, vesicular, bolus, or even pustular variants of MF. Dr. Grumpy Pants replies, Hmm, I see you still have much to learn, Later in the afternoon, you're seeing patients on your own, presenting them to Dr. Grumpy Pants. You're doing a skin check on a 55-year-old, otherwise healthy guy, when he points out an erythematous scaly plaque that's been on his right lower butt cheek, extending onto his thigh that's been there for over a year, he says, and it's itchy on occasion. So what do you do? As always, you start by getting a good history of the lesion, going over your OPQRSTs, making sure to confirm the time of onset, any previous episodes of similar rashes, the progression since it started, and a good review of systems including fever, chills, night sweats, unintended weight loss, etc. All of this is negative for this patient. You decide to do a KOH prep, since everything that scales should be scraped to rule out tinea. After scraping the lesion, you also do a quick, thorough lymph node exam, since mycosis fungoides is in the back of your mind, and clinically, lymph node involvement is very important for staging. The KOH comes back negative, but Dr. Grumpy Pants decides to treat the patient as tinea anyways, and he gives him ketoconazole cream twice a day, and he's going to have the patient follow up in two weeks. So you nod along, but in the back of your head, you have a feeling that this dude has MF. So what is the next step in diagnosis for this patient? A biopsy will likely be done next if he doesn't improve with the ketoconazole. So let's talk a little bit more about the histo findings and further workup needed. It's important to remember that MF often needs multiple biopsies to reach a definitive diagnosis. Some say it takes 7 biopsies over the course of 7 years on average. If your clinical suspicion for a lesion is high, don't be afraid to repeat the biopsy. But what will the biopsy show for mycosis fungoides? For patch stage, we see a band-like distribution of lymphocytes at the dermo-epidermal junction, also known as the DEJ, and that's going to simulate a vacuolar interface with a key finding being epidermotropism.
0: Oh, epidermotropism, not bad. Do you know what that means? Or are you too busy thinking about how tight your next pair of pants are going to be?
1: Epidermotropism means there are atypical lymphocytes that are present in the epidermis where they shouldn't be, and they have a minimal amount of spongiosis to go with it. This contrasts with the term exocytosis, where there are lymphs in the epidermis with spongiosis. So since epidermotropism is a key finding in MF, it's important to do a broad shave biopsy rather than a punch because you want to give your pathologist as much epidermis as you can to capture the epidermotropism. Besides epidermotropic lymphocytes, MF will also have atypical lymphocytes with large hypochromatic nuclei that can appear in clusters in the epidermis known as Poutriez microabscesses. In addition, papillary dermal fibrosis can be present as well. So in plaque stage MF, lesions have similar histo findings to patch stage, except that there is a more dense, band-like infiltrate in the upper dermis and more prominent epidermotropism. When there's tumor stage MF, there's going to be a further increase in the depth and the density of the atypical lymphocytes. But it's important to remember that the epidermotropism that was present in the patch and plaque stage may be diminished or absent in the tumor stage mf lesions besides reporting the h&e findings your dermatopathologist will likely perform immunohistochemistry studies on the slide to look at cd staining the typical phenotype for mf cells is cd3 positive cd4 positive cd8 negative and cd30 negative again That's CD3 positive, 4 positive, 8 negative, 30 negative. Now remember that the hypopigmented variant of MF that favors children and darkly pigmented patients has a cytotoxic phenotype that's going to be CD4 negative and CD8 positive. It's also important to know that the ratio of CD4 to CD8 cells increases as mycosis fungoides progresses so there's more CD4 cells relative to a low number of CD8 cells in MF. A CD4 to CD8 ratio of less than 4 to 1 signifies less progression and thus has a longer survival, whereas Cesare syndrome has a CD4 to CD8 ratio of greater than 10. As a reference, a CD4 to CD8 ratio is normally about 1 to 1 in most inflammatory conditions. So... Besides this ratio and the classic MF phenotype of CD3 positive, CD4 positive, CD8 negative, and CD30 negative, there can also be loss of T-cell markers, with loss of CD7 being the most common but least specific change, whereas loss of CD5 and CD2 are less common but more specific. The dermatopathologist can also perform T-cell receptor gene rearrangements to look for clonality. This clonality of lymphocytes can be suggestive of a diagnosis of MF, but it's important to remember that clonality may also be present in a variety of inflammatory skin conditions such as pleva, lichen sclerosis, and lichen planus. So let's say you're back in clinic with the man himself, Dr. Grumpy Pants. It's two weeks later and that patient has returned that you thought had MF. The patient says the rash isn't much better with the ketoconazole cream, so Dr. Grumpy Pants decides to take a couple more broad shave biopsies. He then asks you,
0: If this is, in fact, patch stage MF, what then will the biopsy show?
1: So you reply, with your head held high, that there will be a band-like infiltrate of atypical lymphocytes at the DEJ, there will be epidermotropism of these lymphocytes into the epidermis. It's not as much epidermotropism as you'd expect for plaque stage, but actually there is more epidermotropism in patch stage than what you see in tumor stage MF. In this patient, some of these atypical lymphs cluster into Pautrier's microabscesses in the epidermis, and you may also see papillary dermal fibrosis. And then Doctor Grumpy Pants looks at you and says.
0: Go on, your minimalistic approach to academic dermatology has not caused me to lose my mind just
1: yet. Okay, so if immunohisto staining is done, you expect the cells to be CD3 positive, CD4 positive, CD8 negative, and you have a loss of CD7 staining with a possible loss of staining in CD2 or CD5. If these histo findings aren't definitive, which they often aren't for patch stage MF, then T-cell rearrangement studies can be done to look for clonality, which is going to be suggestive of the diagnosis. Boomtown once again. Dr. Grumpy Pants responds, as he always does. Oh, oh, I see you have
0: not yet read any pathology. Or biology. Or biochemistry. Or pharmacology. Or dermatology, for
1: that matter. But you're not the worst I've seen. You may go. So you're on the last day of your rotation, and the patient comes back for biopsy results. And what do you know? It's patch stage MF, and you were right. Dr. Grumpy Pants asks you,
0: Well, since you're such an expert so far, what do we do next?
1: Since you already listened to this podcast and did a little reading on your own, you tell him that patch and plaque stage MF without palpable lymphadenopathy does not need further staging workup, such as CT scans for lymph node involvement, lymph node biopsies, or any kind of lab work, so we can jump straight to treatment. Patch and plaque stage MF can be treated with skin-directed therapies, such as super potent topical steroids such as clobetazole or topical nitrogen mustard, which is also known as mechlorethamine hydrochloride. These both lead to complete remissions approximately 60% of the time and are important adjuncts in advanced tumor stage MF as well. It is important to remember that a common side effect for nitrogen mustard treatment is allergic contact dermatitis, for which the medication should be stopped and the dermatitis is treated with topical steroids. Other skin-directed treatments include topical retinoids and various phototherapies. Narrowband UVB has a wavelength of 311 nanometers and can cause complete resolution in 75% of patch stage MF cases. Eczema laser has a wavelength of 308 nanometers in the UVB range and can be used for localized disease as well. Sorolin plus UVA, also known as PUVA, can also be used, and because it has a longer wavelength than UVB, it's going to penetrate deeper in the skin and treat deeper in the skin. Patients with patch or plaque stage MF can also be treated with radiation therapy, with a total dose of 10 to 36 grays in fractions of 1.5 to 2 grays that are given over 8 to 10 weeks. If lesions are refractory or progressive despite topical or UV treatments, more systemic treatments can be added. These include interferon-alpha injections given subcutaneously three times weekly or oral retinoids such as bexarotene. It's important to remember, bexarotene can cause central hypothyroidism and thus should be monitored and treated accordingly. For MF cases that are rapidly progressive or had lymph node or visceral involvement, chemotherapy can be used. One such regimen is known as CHOP therapy, with the C standing for cyclophosphamide, the H standing for hydroxydonorubicin, also known as doxyrubicin, the O standing for oncovin, a.k.a. vincristine, and P standing for prednisone. All right. Thanks for joining today. I want to thank Dr. Sean for his help with the content and Dr. K for not only adding clinical pearls, but supporting this podcast from the get-go. I also want to thank Garrett and Dan for their work with editing and post-production, along with our excellent team of students and residents with Dave, Dan, and Sandra, who put together an awesome study guide for each episode that's available at www.grenzonederm.com. And that's with two Z's, grenzonederm.com. If you have any feedback on how we can improve our content, you can contact us through our website or via email at grenzonederm at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media for more helpful mnemonics and quiz questions. Thanks again for listening today. I'm Logan Kolb, and we'll see you next time here in the Grenzone.
0: This episode is Copyright 2020 Pro Podcasting LLC, all rights reserved. The Grenzone Podcast is a service provided by Pro Podcasting LLC and is not affiliated with any other service providers.